0: Trombonist Wayne Wallace, his arrangement of John Coltrane's giant steps from the CD, Latin Jazz, Jazz Latin. Wayne Wallace appearing at Bear's Place tonight as part of the Jazz Fables concert series in Bloomington from 5.30 to 8 p.m. One of my guests on the program today, drummer and vibraphonist Mitch Shiner, will be performing with him tonight. Also on the program today, trumpeter and IU Jacob School music faculty member Pat Harvest. And welcome back to Just You and Me, you guys.
1: Hey, great to be here. Thanks, David.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mitch has been on recently. Pat, I think it's been a little while since been you've been on while. the program. Yeah. but uh, but uh, And you just celebrated a birthday, and that was a, a, yep. n- a notable deal. And uh, we've invited you guys on the program today uh, because there's been a lot of discussion in the jazz world and jazz online community about the movie Whiplash, uh, I'm just going to give a very quick rendition of uh, what the movie is about for people who haven't seen it. And you guys feel free to interject if I'm uh, not representing accurately. But basically, My- Miles Teller, uh, the young actor, portrays a, a first year uh, student at a jazz conservatory. He's a drummer. He uh, comes under the tutelage of a, a very kind of tyrannical uh, band conductor, uh, leader, educator, whatever, played by J.K. Simmons. And the movie kind of traces what happens to him during this first year in in the conservatory. He's a very driven, passionate young man who wants to be, you know, one of the greatest jazz drummers ever. He idolizes Buddy Rich. He pretty much devotes himself completely to trying to become a better drummer uh, and has a very complicated relationship with this really abusive teacher played by J.K. Simmons. Ultimately, uh, I don't want to provide any spoilers for people who haven't seen the film and are interested in seeing it. But uh, I think it ends up being very ambivalent about about his experience uh, in this in this school. Um, The film got three Oscars Sunday night. It won for I think best sound editing or best sound mixing and best film editing. And then J.K. Simmons also won best supporting actor for his portrayal of the instructor. Uh what I've seen online, I've seen, I think, probably more people than not in the jazz world criticizing this film, saying they don't think it's a uh, – they don't like it for various reasons, don't feel like it serves jazz very well or is a, represents jazz very well. Uh, and I've seen uh, quite a few defenses of it as, as well. Um, and I enjoyed the movie a great deal myself. Pat, I know you are not a fan of it. And right. M- Mitch Shiner is kind of – Kind of the guy in the middle to some extent, it uh, seems like, based on our conversations. So I just want to talk with you guys. And I guess, Pat, why don't I start off with you and, and ask you why you don't like this movie or why you feel about it the way you do? Well, uh,
1: it's a complex thing. Um, I think, first of all, it's really um, – it's very disturbing to me, the dissonance between the fact that in the film world and in the larger public – this music seems to be almost universally praised, and yet most jazz musicians, even the ones who claim to like it, would say that it's very, very inaccurate in its representation of jazz. Uh, So that dissonance bothers me tremendously. It seems like any other time anybody makes a movie, they always have technical consultants who are experts in the subject areas you know whether it's military for some kind of an espionage thriller or whether it's political or whether it's just on the culture but there seems to have been no input at all from anybody who knows anything about jazz um it doesn't talk at all about the the culture of jazz it doesn't ever show him uh jamming or hanging out or listening to older veteran musicians are 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 digging on his records that much or anything it just shows him practicing like an athlete would go to the weight room and that seems like that's all it's about if he just if you just get more facile if you become perfect you'll get a blue note record contract or an emc record contract which I thought was amazing, Uh, ECM, they call it Mm -hmm. EMC. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was a legal thing or if they just really didn't, again, didn't do their due diligence to actually learn anything about jazz from the perspective of people who know. Um, So that's, I mean, it's really troubling that it's not at all an accurate portrayal of the music. The examples, the musical examples that play in the soundtrack are mediocre at best. They really aren't representative of what jazz musicians love or what we try to convey to the, the the larger world but but on 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 an even more basic level to me whether it was intended or not this comes out as to me uh at a time when we can ill afford it it's it's a negative propaganda piece about both jazz and the arts and their place in our society and on the role of education even and the role of the humanities and jazz and the arts in education and, and, you know, we're in a time in history where, especially in the political world, uh, those things are, are, are under siege. Um, you know, there's an, awful, an awfully large contingent of, of politicians that want to eliminate the arts from curriculums, that don't want to include jazz, that uh, don't want to encourage public education at all. And, you know, to me, this, 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 this film becomes negative propaganda, uh, that supports their I don't know that it was intentional but it, it supports that worldview you know that jazz is not valuable that the arts are not valuable that creativity has nothing to do with teaching jazz in schools and that education public education or just education in general isn't something is something that has been overvalued I just I just think there are huge problems
2: with its effect on our culture at this time in history
0: Mitch, what was your take on the movie
2: I didn't read into it quite that deeply um at first partly because i kind of went into it with more of a grain of salt grain of salt being a drummer myself i thought it was pretty i thought the like the practice scenes were pretty funny like it's like oh i can't get this chart i'm gonna punch through the snare drum and you know bleed everywhere i mean it's like it, i thought it was kind of funny it just struck my funny bone uh Well, but but, but, But it's it's totally inaccurate. Well, this this is what this is what bothers
1: me though. Seventy-five percent or more of the non-musicians I talk to think that the movie is accurate and it's portrayable of what we go through and why we go through it. And so, right away, that makes it. That's why it's such a successful and horrible piece of
2: propaganda. I guess, but. I mean, so many people like from my high school who remembered that I went to music school called me up or sent me a message or texted me or whatever and asked me, you know, was that what it was really like? I'm like, and I respond, No. Absolutely not. You know, my professors were not beating me. I never had to bleed in the practice room. You know what I mean? Boy, Steve, I missed my chance. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why you have Jake and Sam to practice that's your right. floor tom aim with, I guess. But, uh, um, you know, I mean, I can pos- I can reaffirm them that no, that's not what it was like at all. And yes, there's the, the movie did. M- Overlook uh, purposefully, you know, a lot of the more like the camaraderie of playing music, and you know what we're actu- what we're actually into doing on, on the weekends and things like that, you know. But I, I mean, I just kind of went into it with a little bit of with a little bit of sarcasm for me, because I I feel like for me it's as as a, a musician, artist, entertainer, writer, band leader, member of modern society. All of us have slashes in between them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, Im- it's important to kind of take a step back and like laugh at myself a little bit and see, you know, is, is what I do like really like really that important, you know, or yes, I do take an immense amount of pride in what I in what I do and what I what mm-hmm. I say. But, you know, I can take a step back and go, you know what, this is this is this is kind of crazy. I'm you know, I'm I play drums every day of my life and this is awesome. So, you know, so, you know, so I get I can kind of see, you know, I I say I take it with a little bit of humor.
0: Well, see, I felt like it was it, I felt like it was not a propaganda film for or against jazz education. I felt like it was a psychological drama that was set in a jazz conservatory. Mm-hmm. And I guess what one of the things I liked about it, granted that, you know, and the guy who uh, Damien Chazelle, who directed and wrote the film and says he based it to some extent on his experiences in his high school band. Uh, I was excited in an age when so many people write off jazz as some sort of boring or sleepy or snobby or some kind of, you know, just sort of stay at art form to see a film that depicts a kid who is literally practically willing to die for the music. Obviously nobody wants, nobody should, you know, try to go make a gig anyway after they just got hit by a truck, you know? Okay. That's, that's pretty over the top, but I guess I, I, his passion really resonated with me, his, his drive. And, and I felt the film was more about like, how much should you give up to become great? And, And I guess I also was intrigued because again, here, we get into a sports parallel again, but having grown up in Indiana, and as a fan of IU basketball, uh, and having watched you know the program in the, the several decades when Bobby Knight was coached, this was a debate that went on in the Knight era. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a lot of people feeling like, uh, I think as time went on and Knight stopped winning championships, it became people seemed to suddenly become less willing to to put up with the done. kind of darker yeah, side yeah. of his. His coaching, his mentorship. One scene that really reminded me a little bit of Knight in certain ways, not just the chair throwing incident, but in another way was when the guy who had been in Fletcher's band, J.K. Simmons' band, comes back to visit him with his daughter, and J.K. Simmons is just sweet as can be and is kidding around with him. He's like, "Oh, you're gonna come play band in my, you play piano in my band someday." And the the guy seems to have this warm rapport with with uh, Simmons' character, which reminded me of like how a lot of Knights players would come back and Mm -hmm. he always was so nice to his former players and always spoke well of them. And um, I guess that intrigued me as well. And uh, I, I thought it was, you know, an interesting representation of there have been, uh, you know, band leaders in jazz history. I don't think they're representative. I don't. I don't think J.K. Simmons' character at all is representative of most band leaders. Certainly not today. But you have had people like Buddy Rich or Charles Mingus who once punched his. Trump Jerry race. Mulligan.
1: I mean, I had those yeah. experiences with Jerry Mulligan, Mel Torme. I mean, these guys were all. Penny Goodman is legendary. I mean, those guys all are at least Buddy Rich level of bad. As band leaders. But none of them did it in an educational context. That's the first thing. If this had been about a private teacher or this had been about this kid dropped out of school and went out on a cruise ship and that's the music director he ran into, I might buy it. But I would not buy it In the terms terms of
2: education. A conservatory setting or something. Yeah, it's preposterous.
0: Well, he does seem like he's treated to some extent as an anomaly in the film. You get the sense he's the exception rather than. I mean, the case where it's when um, the Miles Teller character is in, I don't think he's in studio band yet, it's whatever band he's in before then, and J.K. Simmons pops in to listen to him and kind of takes over from the instructor who's there, who is portrayed as pretty much just a normal straight ahead. straight ahead guy, you know, he's mm-hmm. not in there flogging these kids to yeah. do better or whatever, as opposed to Simmons who clearly, you know, ends up, yeah, being this very over the top character. Again, I, I don't want to spoil what happens in the movie for anybody who does want to go see it. I, I feel like, you know, Simmons does eventually kind of get a comeuppance in the film uh, for the way he's been behaving. But I, I do agree that you, it, it seems a little bit implausible in this day and age in 2014 2015 now that anybody could get away with that kind of thing but it wasn't that long ago that people could i think and maybe that's the difference Mm -hmm. is that we have i think just in the last few years you see this more of a critique of the culture of bullying and other things that for Mm -hmm. a lot of us we grew up with is like oh you just got to kind of deal with it it's there it's not accepted anymore and i don't think i clearly don't think a character like simmons would be accepted but well, okay we've been talking for a while let's listen to just a little bit of music from the movie and then maybe we'll talk about it a little more and we'll, we'll get on to Clark Terry too here at one point <laughs> on which there is a great consensus in this Absolutely, room I yes. know Absolutely. but anyway this is uh this is an actual this is an actual uh chart is it not that Hank Levy wrote or a piece mm-hmm. that Hank Levy wrote that gives the film its title which ends up having several different meanings from the soundtrack to Whiplash this is Whiplash on just you and me Some music from the film Whiplash. We heard Fletcher's song in club and before that the title track which is an actual JS standard written by Hank Levy. My guest on the program today, trumpeter and IU Jacobs faculty member Pat Harbison and drummer and vibraphonist Mitch Shiner will be performing tonight at Bear's Place as part of Wayne Wallace's group from 5 30 to 8 p.m. Uh, we're talking about a variety of things today. We've been talking about the film uh, whiplash, and and after a fairly lengthy opening uh, monologue there uh, that the three of us put together, uh, what else do you guys have to to say about the film?
2: I would, I mean, we kind of alluded to it, you know, talking about Bobby Knight, which I've I've I found the clip on YouTube. The uh, I guess Monday Monday night was the 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 30th anniversary of the chair. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is this this is perfect. That is why we're doing this. Right. (laughs) So I I yeah I went and found that and I I said you know a a few things you know are I can draw some similarity Mm -hmm. between that particular experience and my own Mm -hmm. musical experience, Um, but I I should I should definitely talk about. the mentorship of of wayne wallace for a little while um and what especially recently um how much of an impact he has had on my music and what i've been doing but um yeah like uh, as david said we're playing tonight at bears uh from five thirty to 8 and he it's the the band is full latin jazz rhythm section so uh piano bass drum set and conga drums uh that Michael Spyro will be playing the first half, and Mike Colletti will be playing the second half, and then four trombone players, and one of, uh, not very often you get to see four trombones on one stage. No, yeah. without with, the with, whole without big you know saxes right. without yeah, sa- yeah, saxes yeah, in the yeah, front yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. um, trumpets in the back. But um, on one of Wayne's albums called BnBn, he did uh, on all eight or ten tracks, th- it, all the arrangements are for four trombones. And I'm pretty sure in the studio he overdubbed all four parts, and just how like the the different sounds that Wayne is able to get out of a four trombone section, um, you know, from the from the lowest the lowest like bass trombones to all the way up in the very very high tenor register, um, and and like combine the like the lyricism of that instrument and fuse all of that with. Latin jazz and contemporary modern music is pretty amazing, um, so that's and I just happen to really really enjoy Wayne's music for that reason. Um, but on a on a personal level, I I was inspired by his understanding of of the cultures from from Cuba and other Latin American cultures, countries, right? Yeah, I said cultures twice and. Um, uh, and on my, my CD that I had, uh, put out in August, I, I did an arrangement on Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball with, uh, and I fused it together with some of the sacred music from the island of Cuba. So it, I guess it's, I guess it's a mashup, an arrangement, but I kind of liken that sort of style of the modern music mm-hmm. to something that, that, uh that whiplash is trying to achieve as well it's like a sports movie but with the face of a jazz band you know so you kind of get the you you get the feeling of the the drive and the mean coach and you know how much how much these players are hurting after practice but it's all happening in a band room which is kind of silly so um i guess that's my both my, my interpretation on a little bit about the movie and then also i guess how um f- mixing as many genres as possible in under under one roof in like modern music and
0: well yeah. why, don't, why don't we check that out so, right now then let's listen to yeah. to your to your mashup here of, sure. of wrecking ball this is from mitch Shiner's right. cd fly on just you and me
1: Okay, Kerioo, ogun firama luo nguli nando loru e kong feu tani kwa arguru si bidiki avaluya mojuba